This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. All right, welcome back. 403-974-8255 is the number here. And we'll have some more time for your calls before we get to 3 o'clock and uh, hand things off to Angela Cocott with uh, Calgary Today. But looking forward to this next conversation, just as uh, we're off there, I was just looking up Lake Baikal. Is that how you pronounce it? B-A-I-K-A-L. Uh, it's an ancient, massive lake in the mountainous Russian region of Siberia, north of the Mongolian border. Uh, it looks pretty. Probably, if I would ever visit, I'd pick the warmest day of the year, and uh, that's when I'd go. Uh, but our next guest is just recently back from a trek, a 720-kilometer walk across this lake in Siberia. Obviously, if you're going to walk across it, you better hope it's frozen, which it was. Uh, Dr. William Hanlon is a family physician based in Cochrane, uh, but has uh, done some some really interesting, um, shall we say, adventures maybe in recent years, going back to uh, completing the Seven Summits in 2007, walking through Afghanistan just last year, and now this. Well, joining us uh, for more, very pleased to welcome the program, the aforementioned Dr. William Hanlon. Uh, doctor, thanks for joining us here. Welcome to the program. You're welcome, Rob. Nice to chat. Uh, so w- when did you get back? When was this walk? I just got back uh, actually this past Sunday night, late uh, Sunday night. It was uh, after like five flights back and a 36-hour yeah. train ride uh, after coming off the lake. Oh, yeah. Well, holy cow. So uh, how long were you there then? So I was there for almost a month. I had a 30-day Russian visa, so that was limited the uh, you know the time there. So which because it had a significant impact towards the end, I had to watch the clock all the time to make sure I got off the ice and was able to get back to the starting point uh, by train um, uh, in time to get the flight out and uh, to make sure to be out of Russia before the 30 days was up. So. Okay, and and you did this, this was just you, right? Yeah, it was a solo trip. It was a pretty extreme, full-on expedition, basically traveling, sleeping, moving on the ice, all that on the on the ice, uh, um, um, walking maybe 10 hours a day, and uh, also setting up camp and then, you know, breaking down camp as well. Uh, the intent was, and which, uh, you know, we completed was... Uh, starting from the south, the most southerly tip of the lake, and getting to the northern tip. It's the oldest, deepest lake in the world, and it contains like 20% of the world's fresh water. So it's a very unique place and has a lot of interesting geothermal activity. The, it's, a, it's, a, it's at a confluence of, kind of uh, three tectonic plates, so they get this uh, large amount of um, geothermal activity with like these mini earthquakes going on under the ice all the time. So it's um it's a very dynamic active busy noisy place uh and a bit uneering at times but um again by the time i got into my sleeping bag at night i was pretty exhausted so i really was able to switch off with the uh the loud banging and sounds at nighttime well so what what convinced you to to do this in the first place and what were you hoping to accomplish by doing it yeah 
I uh, I mean, I'm not. I certainly like doing adventurous stuff. Over the yeah. last 30 years or so, I've been doing stuff in high mountains and remote parts of the world. Um, but my big f- focus really is on the health of people living in remote parts of the world uh, for a lot of reasons. Uh, uh, one being they live in a more isolated area, so logistically it's hard to get equipment, medicines, doctors, nurses to, to go there and, and uh, particularly stay there. Um, so a lot of these places are very much off the radar also geographically of, say, um, national government. So when it comes to a Ministry for Health and distributing uh, health-related dollars, uh, these places tend to get missed a bit and don't get that same exposure. So that's another reason for working, you know, and look, focusing on these remote places uh, that develop more from, I suppose, spending time traveling and recreating in these places. I start to look, as a medical doctor, start to look more and in a more interested way at the health of the people in these uh, beautiful place, remote places. And that's what got me into it. In, um, you know, this is 30 years ago, and uh, about 15 years ago, I started a, a foundation called Basic Health International Foundation, which is a federally registered um, Canadian-based charity that focuses on improving the health of people in these remote places. So, so are there communities then that that you uh, that you visited, people you encountered while while you were in this this part of Siberia? Yeah, so this place again is, is it's quite remote, uh, but there are some um, small communities that I visited along the way, um, um, from the south to the north, less uh, population and uh, small communities to the north. But the first the lower half, there was more. Um, activity halfway up the lake there's an island called Olcon Island which is a very special place uh, historically a place of shamans and um, Buddhist people live there and, and uh, Orthodox Christians too so it's an interesting mix of people so there is a resident population on the island and then it's quite busy particularly in the summertime with tourism because it's again people are starting to realize uh, um, how how uh, interesting and um, from a natural wonder point of view, place it is. So people certainly gets a lot of traffic now in the summertime. So there is more of a, a small population there, maybe a thousand people living on Alcon Island. And so I did get to see some people there. And then I visited people uh, to the north to small communities, more like, you know, 20, 30 people in some communities. And then at the north end of the island is a bigger um, town that I I, uh, I spent a short time there. This trip was a bit more to do with adventure and, and uh, uh, extreme adventure and uh, exposing, I suppose, the concept of um, uh, the awareness of uh, remote community medicine. Uh, most of my trips involved just going and working with the people. This was because it was a full-on expedition, and particularly this time of the year in um, Siberia, uh, there's limited daylight, so uh, compared to, say, Antarctica, where uh, in 2009-10 I did a, an international expedition with uh, two other people, three of us skied like 1,200 kilometers from the edge of the Antarctic ice to the South Pole. Well, there there's like 24 hours daylight, so it, you could move uh, any time of the 24-hour cycle, but um, here... I was limited very much with time-wise and been solo expedition also a bit more, um, you know, certainly a more extreme situation because everything you have to do yourself. And a typical day squeezed in, you know, within daylight was 
again, you know, for the breaking down camp, uh, which took about three hours, you know, melting snow. Um, I had to anchor the tent into the ice, so that took a lot longer than, say, using, say, camping on snow or um, ground where you could just stick in the ice uh, into in a, a snow stake or a, a regular tent stake. Uh, here, actually, it would take me probably an hour to put up a tent just to make sure it was anchored down because the the winds there are notorious and uh, you're out on the ice, so there's no place to hide, really. Uh, so, uh-huh. so it was three hours... Um, getting going in the morning, uh, 10 hours walking, and then three hours setting up camp again before I could get into sleeping bag and, uh, and uh, go, you know, go to sleep. So, well, what about food and water? What do you do? What did you do for that? Yeah, it's ironic because a place like that, where you know, you're walking on the surface of 20% of the world's fresh water. Uh, if, the, if my little MSR stove broke down, I could die of dehydration, really. So it's quite ironic. It's a bit like being on a on, a, on the ocean in a boat with salinated water. You could right. you could you know you could uh, die from drought uh, despite uh, being surrounded by water. Um, so I had a little stove. Um, I pulled I pulled a sled which weighed about the same weight as myself, around seventy five kilos, hundred you know sixty hundred seventy pounds. And uh, so I had a tent, uh, stove, a little bit of food, freeze-dried food, you know, because of weight, and uh, just general equipment, uh, clothing and stuff. So the stove really and the fuel um, uh, was basically my source of melting snow. And uh, the fuel is a bit tricky too, where here we can use like white gas, which is kind of more available if we go camping for the weekend, get some white gas at a local store, there, they don't have any white gas, and so I had to kind of take a risk with using unleaded, getting unleaded petrol. Uh, there, uh, people were suggesting I use paint thinner there, and uh, but I decided to use just regular uh, unleaded gas, and it actually turned out it worked out fine. Uh, a bit more smoky, but it, was, it worked okay. But that's typical these long expeditions. They're not really fancy. They're much more functional and trying to improvise with whatever gear you have and equipment or what's available in the area. Um, in this case, you know, I use I took a chance on the unleaded ga- uh, gas and it worked okay. So, uh, how does something like that compare to say, you know, mountain climbing a mountain and and some of the stuff you've done in the past? Yeah, it's quite different, really, and I must say I enjoy it more these days. I think, um, you know, polar exploration, I think it's not as fancy or supported as, say, mountaineering, like high-altitude mountaineering these days. There's a lot of money involved. There's a lot of support. The You know, people will climb. Like We did spend 45 days on Everest in 2007 when I climbed it, but it was but that was acclimatizing. But there was a big team, lots of support. You kind of rotate through the ice wall and you're up and down to base camp. Base camp is well supported with food and staff and support and um, communication and everything, equipment. Where out on the polar stuff, you're really out there on your own and uh, you're relying very much on very basic equipment. And, and uh, you know, an example of... I was looking at ice crews before I left and to, to batten down the, the tent on the ice and... I looked around and like most of the mountaineering stuff is, you know, I was looking at these ice crews about, they were about, you know, $50 a piece. And I ended up getting these great ice crews. Uh, they're like for ice fishermen in Canadian Tire for like five bucks a piece. And so there's lots of stuff you can do. I, I like it because you can, the equipment is not so fancy, but 
but still very functional and uh, affordable too. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Well, uh, people can read more. You mentioned that the web or the organization, Basic Health International Foundation. Uh, the website is basichealthinternational.org. Org. Um, William, thanks so much for joining us here today. Really appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. Appreciate it. I put the blog in there, so hopefully people enjoy the photos and uh, enjoy it. Yeah, <laughs> it's, okay. it's crazy. Thanks again. There you go, Dr. William Hanlon. He's a Cochrane-based uh, family doctor, but uh, again, doing some of these more extreme adventures, but but doing it for this this cause. So basichealthinternational.org is the website for the Basic Health International Foundation, as he mentioned, blogging the trip, posting some some pictures. Yeah, it's quite something to behold. I don't know that I'd want to do it, but uh, yeah, what an adventure. All right, we got to take a break here. We are back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.